It's the afternoon of December 11th, 1718, just off Port Royal, Jamaica. Captain John Rackham, known to his crew as Calico Jack, stands on the deck of the Ranger, his newly acquired command. Rackham cuts a dashing figure, standing out amongst the crew of richy-looking pirates. He wears brightly colored clothes made of calico, a fine Indian cotton embellished with woven floral designs. But appearances shouldn't fool anyone. Rackham is a ruthless captain. Until recently, he was quartermaster to the vicious pirate captain Charles Vane. But just weeks ago, Rackham led a mutiny against Vane. Taking 90 crew members with him, Rackham sent Vane, one of the meanest pirates in history, and 15 of his supporters on their way, branding them cowards for not attacking a French frigate. Rackham's crew are some of the wildest and fiercest pirates to sail the Caribbean. They are known for their brutality. Right now, Rackham has these men on side but he well knows that only prizes and plunder will keep them loyal. With the afternoon sun dipping on the horizon, Rackham feels a swell of excitement at the small merchant ship he has in his sights. It sits defenseless in the harbor of Port Royal. There are no warships in the vicinity, and Rackham knows if he moves swiftly, no one can do anything to stop him. They raise the Jolly Roger. Merchants and bystanders lining the docks are stunned to see the pirate ship come hurtling into the harbor. They seem to head straight for one ship in particular, the Kingston. It's quite literally daylight robbery. Channeling the brazenness of Blackbeard and Vane, the pirates come alongside the Kingston. Within moments, they seize the vessel. Rackham doesn't have the firepower or the time to ransack the ship in the harbor. Even without the Navy present, there'll be a sitting duck. He orders his crew to commandeer the ship. From ashore, a shocked and horrified crowd watches on as the pirates infest the Kingston, raise its anchor, turn tail, and sail off with it before any interception is possible. As they put some distance between themselves and Port Royal, Rackham's crew begin to search the hold. There isn't much of worth, or so they think, until one pirate with black fingernails pries open a box, forcing the lock with his knife. He can't believe his eyes. The contents sparkle mesmerizing the filthy faces peering over his shoulder. Their greedy eyes savor the sight. It's a crate full of solid gold watches. Rackham has got away with 20,000 pounds worth of merchandise. It's a huge score. The pirates chant and celebrate their first big success under Rackham's captaincy. Puffed up, 
He parades about the deck in his fine clothes, toasting his success with his happy crewmates. This could be the start of something special for Rackham. Back at Port Royal, however, the owners of the Kingston are enraged. They refuse to let these pirates get away with their ship and its goods. With the governor's approval, the owners quickly outfit a pair of privateering vessels. They're going to hunt Rackham down. I'm Tom Morton, and welcome to Real Pirates. The show that dives deep into the true story behind the world's most notorious buccaneers. Join us as we set sail under the black flag, alongside such legendary figures as Blackbeard, Henry Morgan, Charles Vane, Anne Bonny, and Mary Reed. We'll reveal how these marauding mariners rose to dominate the seven seas, the terror tactics they employed to overpower their prey, and what life was really like aboard their ships. Their reputations have swollen to legendary proportions, making it hard to separate fact from fiction. Who were they? Terrorists or freedom fighters? Cold-blooded killers or heroic underdogs? As it turns out, the truth is far stranger than fiction. another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the field. It go down. It go down in the field. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Pirates of the Caribbean are in swift decline. Rackham is one of the few still hanging on. More and more pirates are lured into taking the king's pardon. There is no more pirate republic, no more safe havens. Nassau is now fully controlled by the British, and some of the biggest names in piracy, including Bellamy, Blackbeard, and Steed Bonnet, are all dead. But Rackham, it seems, doesn't care. The life of a pirate, out on the open sea and making merry on white sand beaches, is the only life for him. In February 1719, on Isla de los Pinos, just south of Cuba, Rackham and his crew bathe in the warm sunlight, drinking rum and wine on just such a beach. Anchored offshore is the Kingston, the ship they seized three months ago in Port Royal. Now, it's their new flagship. The pirate's first capture under Rackham has become the symbol of their renewed fortunes under his command. 
but as one drunken pirate staggers down the shore, he stops and rubs his eyes in disbelief. He looks out across the water. He blinks, feeling his vision has doubled. It has not. Two heavily armed ships are barreling down on the undefended Kingston. Pirate hunters. They have tirelessly tracked Rackham and his crew for months, and now they have them. The drunken pirates on the beach stir, but they are defenseless. There is no time to return to the Kingston to make a getaway before the privateers descend on them. Rackham can't put up a fight, or isn't willing to. The pirates panic, tripping over themselves as they flee into the woods. It's an ironic twist. Rackham, who accused Charles Vane of cowardice, now cowers in the brush. They watch the privateers retake the Kingston and sail away, leaving them stranded. It's a reality check for Rackham and a blow to his leadership. Dr. Rebecca Simon is a historian and author of Why We Love Pirates, The Hunt for Captain Kidd and How He Changed Piracy Forever. So while Jack Rackham sailed with Charles Vane, he kind of developed a little bit of a reputation for being rash with certain ideas or decisions he was trying to make. For instance, when Charles Vane decided he did not want to attack a certain French ship, Jack Rackham was insisting that they should go after it, which led to a lot of contention between the two men. Jack Rackham was technically not the best pirate, but he was a good strategist in that he had a lot of good ideas. But unfortunately, a lot of those strategies wouldn't play out for many various reasons. And a lot of it just had to do with his lack of skills in terms of actual pirating. Rackham and his crew are now left to wonder, what next? A crew without a ship won't get far. Their options are limited. Soon word reaches them that there is an extension on the King's pardon. There's still time to be absolved if they want. It seems Rackham's time as a pirate captain will be short-lived. His crew disbands. Rackham and six of his crew eventually arrive back in Nassau. They do what so many others have done. Accept a pardon from Governor Woods Rogers. It's May 1719. Rackham, his spirits low, slowly walks towards a Nassau tavern. Life as an ex-pirate is hard. Hawking odd goods, gambling, eking out the end of his ill-gotten gains. He's also alone. His last few followers have departed, taking honest commissions. After his time with Vane and rubbing shoulders with the greatest pirates of the era, for Rackham, Nassau is reduced to memories and ghosts of a glorious past. Dwindling are the raucous crews who regale each other with incredible tales of daring do. The stories shared now are about those who've taken a pardon, which captain has been caught, or which crew has been hanged. Little does Rackham know, his future is about to take a dramatic turn. Rackham enters a tavern. Sailors, soldiers, sex workers all crowd the bar. But in the throng, one person stands out. A woman. 
with bright red hair. She's not a barmaid, nor a working girl, but neither is she a lady from polite society. She drinks and laughs, surrounded by a pack of men. She is unlike any woman he's ever seen. She is unconventional, loud, hot-tempered and coarse. Her speech is as salty as any sailor's. Rackham is instantly smitten. This woman is Anne Bonny. The two hit it off and find a dark corner to drink and talk. <clears throat> Anne's married, but her husband, Rackham learns, is James Bonny, a pardoned pirate turned pirate hunter and a friend of Governor Woods Rogers. But Anne is no longer faithful to him. For her, the marriage is a prison. Rackham realizes Anne is a pirate at heart. She's the ideal woman for a sea dog like him. Sometime after Anne Bonny arrived in Nassau, she and her husband sort of went their separate ways. She had lost a lot of respect for him because he had promised her to continue to go a pirating and she very much enjoyed that life and the adventure and the autonomy she had on a ship because of it. But he actually ends up turning tail and becoming a pirate hunter for the Governor Woods Rogers. So instead they separate and she begins frequenting a lot of local taverns in Nassau. These were areas where pirates, sailors, and all kinds of maritime people would gather and she would go and find out the news and she befriended a whole bunch of sailors and pirates while she was there. But it was Captain Jack Rackham who came in that really caught her eye. It appears it was possible it may have been love at first sight for them, or perhaps there was some sort of shine she took to him, we're not sure. He may have enticed her almost immediately with building a new crew and promising her a place on it. But whatever happened, the two of them ended up falling in love. Who is this mysterious Anne Bonny Rackham has found himself so enthralled by? And how did she end up in Nassau? In A General History of Pirates, Charles Johnson tells us Anne Bonny was born in Kinsale, County Cork, Ireland, in 1697. Her father, William Cormack, was an attorney at law. But her mother was not William's wife. She was William's servant, a woman named Peg Brennan. Anne's mother, it seems, had found herself in a precarious situation under William's employ, and he began to take liberties with her. Peg's relationship with William may not have been an easy one. Female domestic servants, at the time, were often victims of unwanted advances and sexual harassment. We cannot know the truth of how their relationship began, but Johnson's account paints a picture of Anne's mother caught in the bitter crossfire between William and his wife. Out of spite or malice, after learning of William's ongoing affair with his servant girl, Mrs. Cormack imprisoned Peg by falsely accusing her of stealing three silver spoons. When William Cormack's wife came home after one of her sojourns away and discovered that there was a bunch of silver missing, she accuses the maid and they go do a whole search of the house and they find it, sure enough, in the maid's bedroom. Now, we're not sure how it actually got there. According to Johnson, the young woman had sort of taken up a fancy with a blacksmith in town and she had invited him over to the house while William was away along with his wife. And according to the story, as a joke, the young blacksmith put the silver into her bedroom thinking it would be funny for her to find it. Now, apparently the blacksmith did intervene and he did say it was his doing as a joke, but the damage was already done. 
the maid was put into prison and she was there for quite some time. And it's during this time she discovers that she's pregnant. And when she comes back home, it's quite obvious. And so William's wife leaves once again. When Anne was born, out of duty or necessity, William moved Peg and baby Anne to London with him. Here he began a new law practice. But this was hardly a romantic escape into a happier life. Apparently, William disguised Anne as his nephew to conceal the shame of his infidelity, and Peg remained his servant. To keep up appearances in London, when Anne was old enough, she trained to be William's clerk in his law office, still disguised as a boy. But the situation turns sour when William's mother discovers the truth about Peg and Anne. She cuts off his allowance. Soon, William's affair becomes public, and as a result, he loses his job. By 1707, it's time for a new start. With little to lose, William takes Peg and Anne to America, to Charleston, South Carolina, where William would ultimately reinvent himself as a successful plantation owner. But weeks after their arrival, Peg falls ill. Within days, she is dead, leaving William to look after young Anne on his own. Anne's teenage years were a traumatic experience. It's hardly surprising that Charles Johnson writes about young Anne possessing a fierce and courageous temper. Could she not be affected by the toll of living a secret identity, hiding the shame of her father, fleeing to America, and finally losing her mother? As Anne grows older, tales of her wild reputation precede her. By 1710, some even believe Anne to be a murderer. The story goes that on a hot summer's day, a boy on the plantation attempted to kiss Anne. In response, Anne grabbed a knife and stabbed him. However, while even Johnson questions the truth of this tale, the scenario is easy enough to imagine. The sorry fate of Anne's mother, Peg, comes to mind. As Anne grows older in the colonies, Johnson is really painting her as being this fiery young woman. It's almost stereotypical, you know, the Irish red-haired young girl with a fiery temper to match her hair color. So he really kind of builds off of this. So according to Johnson, Anne is put into the employ of a lady of a plantation because her father feels this will be the best way for her to get a feminine education because she is running wild. She gets into fights while she's working on this plantation it's possible that she got into a fight with one of the boys there who was being a bit fresh with her. It could be a few things. One, he could be inappropriately flirting with her or he could have outright attempted to sexually assault her. But whatever happened, Anne stabbed him. But like much of Charles Johnson's accounts in A General History of Pirates, there is a complex blend of fact and fiction. The legitimacy of Anne Bonny's story by Captain Charles Johnson is quite questionable, but what he is doing is he's building up a narrative that's going to really fascinate readers. There's the belief of the 18th century that no respectable young woman is going to want to go into piracy. No high society young lady is going to enter into piracy. It's showing how women who in a way have no social status being illegitimate, regardless of say how successful Anne's father was, She's still illegitimate, they have no social status, but they were able to rise above in a way and become these really infamous pirate queens. In the first edition of Johnson's General History, by 1713, Anne is now a young woman 
and has fallen in love with a low-level pirate named James Bonney. The pair intend to marry. But there's a problem. Anne's father, William, wants Anne to marry a respectable Carolinian, a match with better prospects for advancement. But Anne yearns for freedom and a life of adventure. James Bonney is her ticket out of town, so the two marry in secret. But the newlyweds have different dreams for the future. While Anne is eager to start her life of freedom on the open seas, James Bonney has other plans. He has no interest in continuing his life of piracy. He hopes marriage to a wealthy plantation heiress like Anne will free him of a precarious life at sea. Unfortunately, neither discusses their plans with the other, and both will end up disappointed. Upon learning of Anne's marriage to James Bonney, William Cormack, humiliated, disowns and disinherits his daughter, putting an abrupt end to James Bonney's chances of early retirement. Seeds of resentment begin to grow inside James at once, but with no job prospects in Charleston, James and Anne were forced to set sail for Nassau, where he hoped to find employment. James Bonney does not get the inheritance that he is hoping for a dowry. So to him, this is a huge disappointment, and now he's stuck with her. But Anne Bonney doesn't see it this way. She still sees this as her grand opportunity. In the early editions of A General History of Pirates, Johnson states Anne sets sail with James, eventually landing in the Bahamas. For how long they are at sea, we cannot say nor do we know what part she may have played on board his ship. But given the sorry state Rackham finds her in Nassau, we can safely assume married life is not the escape she envisaged. The role of women in terms of piracy is a very interesting study because what a lot of people don't realize is that a lot of pirates actually did in a way depend on women for their very survival. So how did women care for pirates? What was their role? Well, many pirates were married, you know, a lot of them had been regular sailors before they became pirates. A lot of pirates were considered to be upstanding members of the community, especially in the Caribbean, where they were bringing in lots of smuggled goods and therefore actually helping a lot of local economies. Women were the ones that were taking care of the home, making sure that any finances were going to managing the household. And there were some pirates who even could have had enterprising businesses at home that they took care of when they weren't out pirating. And in general, when sailors were off for months and months at a time, the women would take over any sort of business dealings that they might have. But it seems even Johnson is uncertain about how Anne arrives in Nassau, as he rewrites her story over time. In a later edition, Anne didn't leave South Carolina a married woman disowned by her father. Instead, she leaves as a passenger, posing as the daughter of a Mrs. Fulford, marrying James Bonney later on. This version also makes sense. Anne's chances of openly joining a crew herself were remote, so begging charity may have been her only escape. There were so many pirates who wouldn't allow people to bring women onto ships because they were afraid it could cause jealousy or cause discord. There were some ships in general where maybe the captain and quartermaster were allowed to bring their wives onto ships, and they were the ones who often did things like taking care of any livestock that they would have on the ship, preparing food, doing things like mending and healthcare, kind of very typical women's roles. But that wasn't very common. Whichever version of events is true, for Anne, life on a ship would not have meant a life of freedom. What we do know is that by 1719, 
James and Anne Bonny are unhappily married and living in Nassau, where Anne is bound for more disappointment. It's more than likely she witnessed firsthand the rapid decline of the Pirate Republic. It's a really interesting time when Anne arrives in Nassau because at this point, Governor Woods Rogers had taken over and had been governor of the Bahamas for probably about a little over a year. And his first major goal was to rid all of the Bahamas of pirates. So at this point, he's offered pardons. About 200 pirates have taken the pardon. So this means Nassau is quite a different place when she arrives than it might have been, say, five years ago when it was known as a pirate republic starting in about 1713, 1714. So even though this wasn't the vast romantic pirate haven it once had been, Anne Bonny still definitely had the opportunity to meet several pirates during her time after they came into Nassau. By 1719, Anne has all but given up on James Bonny as a husband and as a pirate. Anne spends her time in the local taverns and having affairs with sailors and pirates she meets, just like tonight. Now in a raucous tavern, Anne Bonny and dashing ex-pirate Calico Jack Rackham have been nestled in a dark corner for hours, sparking a romance. The exact date Rackham met Anne Bonny is uncertain, but we know by 1720 their fates are entwined. They become lovers and start planning a future together. But there is one problem, Anne's marriage to James. It's late summer 1720. Rackham and Bonnie have no choice. To be together, they'll have to make a deal with her husband. Rackham offers to purchase Anne's freedom from James Bonnie for a hefty sum. It may seem cold, but it's a well-established practice known as wife selling. This is a practice that had been going on in the West Indies for quite some time. There was always a huge disparity between men and women, more men, way fewer women. And so it wasn't uncommon for women to be sold into marriage. There were many women who were forced into it against their will. There were some women who volunteered at the chance of being auctioned as a wife to escape their current social circumstances, particularly perhaps if they were in a very rough working class life somewhere in Europe, this could be a new opportunity for them. Or it was a way to give money to their family women are being treated as property here. Women are property, they don't have rights. And so it's not seen as a huge moral deal for people to purchase a wife. James Bonney soon agrees to the annulment. Is he simply satisfied by financial reward? Or is there another reason for his willingness? And Bonney, it seems, is pregnant. And James is not the father. The timeline gets a little bit confused as to how long Anne Bonny knew Jack Rackham because according to Captain Charles Johnson, at one point, Anne becomes pregnant from Rackham and he actually sends her to Cuba where he has family so she can convalesce and then have the child. And according to Johnson, it appears that Anne leaves the child with these relatives and the child is never ever mentioned again. And Anne, as far as we know, never has any contact with this child again either. We're not sure if it's completely true, but this could fit in to perhaps a reason why Jack Rackham and Anne Bonny decided to go ahead with attempting a wife sale. James Bonny is very humiliated by their affair. He believes he's been cuckolded, meaning that he's been outright humiliated as his wife has had an affair. And if she'd had this illegitimate child under James Bonny's nose, 
this would add to an even further humiliation. But again, this is a story that Johnson puts into a general history of the pirate. We're not sure the validity. We're not positive even what the motivation was for perhaps creating this narrative that Anne had her own illegitimate child. Whether due to unhappiness, the pregnancy, or simply a lust for cash, James Bonney wants Anne out of his life. To complete the deal, Rackham and James need a witness for the annulment. But the deal doesn't go to plan. While Jack Rackham is trying to negotiate this wife sale with James Bonney, a rule that Governor Woods Rogers had banned in the Bahamas, an acquaintance or colleague of James Bonney named Richard Turley, he goes to Woods Rogers and he informs him of this wife sale that's going to take place. What does happen is that Woods Rogers does intervene after getting this information from Turley, banning the sale and threatening to whip and imprison Anne as punishment. Thanks to Richard Turley's betrayal, Anne Bonney and Rackham are now cornered. It seems their love affair is at an end, as is any hope of a future on Nassau. Anne tells Governor Rogers that she will no longer seek a divorce and won't see Rackham. She will become a devoted wife. Anne Bonney has lied. She has also made a secret vow to one day have her revenge on Richard Turley. The pair devise a new plan. If they can't be together in Nassau, they will be on the open seas. They will put together a crew, commandeer a ship, and return to piracy. But it won't be easy. Nassau is not like it once was, teeming with pirates eager to jump aboard the next ship. And it's not like Bonnie and Rackham can place public advertisements for a criminal enterprise. And even if they secure a ship and a crew, there's a good chance that being a woman, Anne's presence will not be welcome. And now here's what's interesting about Anne Bonnie is how she was able to get onto the ship. There is the possibility, at least according to Johnson's narrative, that she was wearing men's clothes and it very well could be that Jack Rackham was disguising her as a man because this would be much more acceptable to the crew. Women weren't allowed on ships, particularly pirate ships for the most part. And so if he wanted to assemble a crew as fast as he could so they could sail away as quick as possible, then having Anne disguised as a man would be the quickest way to do it. And then after their sailing, then Anne could openly be a woman because at that point she would be an accepted member of the crew. If her backstory is to be believed, it won't be the first time Bonnie has lived a double life as a man. She knows what to do. The recruitment process begins. The crew comprises six strong sailors and one hopeful young novice. Mark Reed, a fresh-faced former soldier looking for a new career. Rackham and Bonnie and their new crew put their daring plan into motion. It's the middle of the night on August 22nd, 1720. James Bonney finds his wife is not at home. He assumes she's back out at the taverns, like before, but not this time. Rackham and Anne Bonney, dressed in men's clothes, and their crew creep along the docks. It's easy to imagine the thrill of excitement surging through Bonnie. She is on the verge of freedom that she's craved so desperately for so many years. 
Under cover of darkness, Rackham and Bonnie climb aboard a ship, the William. Their crew scurry to prepare the vessel to disembark. It's a bold move. A William is a 12-ton, six-gun sloop. It is the fastest ship in the Bahamas and belongs to John, catch him if you can, Ham, the personal friend of Governor Woods Rogers. Releasing the ship, the helmsman begins to maneuver the William out of the harbor. But the pirate's plan hits a snag. The watch aboard the ship Delicia, Rogers' long-standing flagship, challenges them. Rackham, calling over, claims the anchor line has snapped and they wish to take the ship outside the harbor for the evening. There's a moment of hesitation by the watch. Rackham doesn't have the appearance of a pirate, more like a well-dressed gentleman. Whether it's Rackham's confident, smooth talking, or perhaps his flashy clothes, the watch aboard the Delicia sends them on their way. Out of the harbor, Rackham orders the helmsman to make haste, leaving Nassau, authority and the pardon in their wake. Now, the open ocean beckons. Calico Jack is back in business. Like so many pirates, it's hard to understand why Rackham and his crew quickly returned to pirating after taking the pardon. Were they more committed, more desperate, or more criminally inclined? Dr. James Rankin is a historian and an authority on pirates. It's a question that historians have to grapple with, right? And a lot of Johnson's book seems to be very concerned with explaining exactly this, like why did pirates make this decision, which seems to fly in the face of all good sense. And in many ways, I think Rackham's career perhaps underscores how different piracy was becoming. It seems many pirates grew suspicious of the authorities and their amnesty. They feared prosecution for their crimes on a technicality or being caught in a legal loophole that would see them hang at a later date. I think for some, what they discovered was that they were not covered under the terms of the amnesty, right? There were very specific dates within which crimes would be forgiven and outside of which you would be declared a pirate. And so as much as the amnesty may have been appealing to some pirates, it has a kind of a double-edged effect, which is for those who are outside of its provisions, there is much less reason to surrender, right? And in fact, you are now kind of incentivized to double down and harden your commitment to this course of action because there is no longer necessarily a very safe or easy way to surrender. The pirates sail with speed, and Rackham rechristens the ship the Revenge. Both Rackham and Bonnie have seized the freedom they long lusted after. This is a second chance that neither will squander, which means Rackham's crew are in for a surprise. Shortly after escaping Nassau, Anne Bonnie sheds her male disguise, taking her place as Rackham's wife aboard. It would not have been that controversial for Jack Rackham to bring Anne on board openly as his wife. There is also the fact that on a ship, a captain has the jurisdiction 
to be able to facilitate weddings and make them legitimate regardless of what your status was on land. So on the ship, Anne Bonny is legitimately Jack Rackham's wife. And so this is going to be quite widely accepted. But that doesn't necessarily mean she's welcomed by the crew. They likely harbor deep misgivings. But as time goes on, Anne's work ethic and personality begins to win out. She starts to foster friendships with her crewmates. Something disturbs Calico Jack. He notices Anne is spending more and more time with one particular member of the crew, the young soldier Mark Reed. The two appear to be close. Rackham boils with jealousy. After all, this whole endeavor was their means of finally being together. He won't be cuckolded like James Bonney. He decides to put an end to whatever is going on between Anne and Mark Reed. Enraged, Rackham finds Bonnie in the captain's cabin. Rackham bursts in, announcing to Anne that he will cut her new lover's throat. Next week on Real Pirates. Passion and jealousy threaten to boil over on board the Revenge. Calico Jack confronts Anne Bonny and her mysterious confidant, Mark Reed, only to discover a secret far more shocking than what he already imagines. We dive into the mythic stories surrounding this unconventional pirate crew whilst they struggle to chart a course through hostile waters. Find out next week on Real Pirates. Real Pirates is a Spotify original from Parcast, produced in partnership with Noiser, executive produced by Max Cutler, Drew Cole, and Pascal Hughes, developed by Julian Boireau for Parcast, produced by McAllister Bexon, written by Luke Coons, sound supervisor Tom Pink, edited by Carla Flores and Rob Plummer, sound design by Matthias Torres Sole, mix master by Cody Reynolds Shaw, music by Oliver Baines and Dory McCauley. 